You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord I love my job. I have such a such a neat job. It's hard sometimes, but I'm so grateful for it. One of my favorite parts of my job comes up from time to time is I now and then get to officiate a wedding. Oh man, those are so much fun. When the couple's relationship is young and healthy, whether they're young or not, if the relationship is young and, and healthy and their friends and family are supportive, oh man, that is so much fun. It's such a beautiful day and, and just, just good. And on the wedding day, it's always the same. The bride is nervous but radiant and the groom is nervous too and he has eyes only for her. That is so cool to see. You know, God himself instituted marriage. He designed it. And in marriage, he joins two people into one. And so the marriage vows the new couple speaks are important. I, the groom, take you, the bride, to be my lawfully wedded wife and so on. And then the other way around, she takes him to be her husband. Most couples that I've worked with have preferred to go with the traditional vows to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Sometimes as I'm standing with the couple, I have a microphone, they don't. I don't know if the congregation can hear it. Sometimes they do. I can hear their voices shake with emotion and hope as they pledge their lives to one another. It's a beautiful moment. I get the honor of pronouncing them husband and wife, and there's a kiss, and then everyone's off to the celebration. And why do we celebrate? It's because it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? This joining of two lives into one. And we pray on that wedding day that the same joy that the couple feels that day and that we feel for them will continue with them throughout the years, through all the ups and downs of life, through maybe children or maybe not, through struggles and successes, and just life together. But it's not easy, is it? Keeping those vows. It's hard sometimes. And we have all experienced the pain of broken marriage vows. Some of us have been through a divorce. All of us have grieved over the divorce of someone we loved. I want to be honest about this this morning, but also as tender as we can be, because it affects all of us. The bad news about marriage is that sometimes our sin, or our spouse's sin, or both, cause the marriage to fail. The good news, even then, is that our God redeems lives daily. He redeems people who are broken by sin. And when both parties are open to it, He can even redeem broken marriages. I've seen Him do it. Maybe you have too. And so our hope is always in God. Always. Tell anyone you know 
who has been through a divorce or who has been hurt by a divorce, that God redeems our lives. Sometimes it seems impossible, but our God specializes in impossible things. This is what he does, and many of us have seen him do it. Marriage vows are such a beautiful, passionate, risky, difficult thing. And we might want to look to God sometimes and ask, why did you even create marriage when you know it can be so difficult? But of course, God knows it's difficult. He's been there. Frequently in the writings of the prophets in Scripture, God is pictured as a husband whose bride, Israel, has been unfaithful to him. And he's left as the husband trying to figure out what to do. And so often, He calls out to his bride to come back to him like Jeremiah 3, verse 14, where God's people have been unfaithful and yet God calls out to them, return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Yeah, God knows marriage can be hard. He's been there. Yet he himself ordained marriage and he blesses our marriage vows. So, How should followers of Jesus think about marriage vows? What did Jesus teach us about marriage vows and how to keep them? This morning, with all the gentleness of Jesus who laid down his life for us, but also with all the firmness of Jesus, our teacher and our king, I'd like us to look at three passages of scripture, two from Jesus himself, one from the Apostle Paul, that set the target for us. When we make our vows of marriage, this is what we're aiming for. We're working our way through Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And the next part of Jesus' teaching there has to do with marriage. Jesus says this, Matthew 5 verse 27. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus covers two topics here related to our marriage vows. He covers adultery and divorce. In our reading last week, Jesus said, He came not to abolish the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, but to fulfill them, to bring about what they foretold, and to help people follow not just the letter of the law, but God's intention for us behind the law so that we do the full will of God. The first example that Jesus gave us after he said this had to do with murder. We looked at it last week. The law of Moses said, you shall not murder. But it's not enough to just not murder a person, right? 
Jesus also taught us not to hate, not to abuse another person with our words, to control our anger, and to seek reconciliation wherever possible. When God said, you shall not murder, murder wasn't the only thing he was concerned about. Well, Jesus uses the same approach here. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting commandment number seven in the Ten Commandments, straight out of the book of Exodus in chapter 20. But is it enough to not physically commit adultery if you're unfaithful in your mind? Oh, honey, I'm just looking. Yeah, is she going to be pleased with that? (laughs) Is she going to feel valued? Jesus says, but I tell you, So you have heard that it was said, and he quotes scripture, and then he says, but I tell you. He's not going to let us get away with just the letter of the law, is he? It's like that stop sign last week. It says, stop. But if all you do is stop, and you don't look both ways before you cross the intersection, you may not get across safely. The goal of that stop sign is to help you get across the intersection safely. So what's the goal here? Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now this could go for men or for women, right? It could go both ways. Jesus picks on the men. The goal is not just to avoid physical intimacy with someone who's not your spouse. The goal is to keep your whole heart sexually pure. And this principle applies to both men and women, to us who are married and to us who are single. Long before the internet made pornography so easy to access, Jesus warned us that the goal of the command to not commit adultery is not merely that we refrain from the physical act, but that we keep our eyes and our minds and our hearts sexually pure. And if we're married or might get married someday, that we keep ourselves true to our spouses. In the Ten Commandments, commandment number seven says, you shall not commit adultery. Number ten, the last one, says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and so on. So God commands not only that we not take someone we're not married to, but that we don't lustfully desire, covet someone who's married to someone else. And Jesus is so serious about this issue that he warns us to do whatever it takes to keep from committing this kind of sin. Because if you don't, your whole body, he says, may be thrown into hell. Remember, Jesus does not hesitate to warn us about hell because it's real and he loves us and he wants to save us from it. He gave his life to save us from it. So if you say... Well, I just can't help myself. My eye sees a well-built man, a gorgeous woman. I, I desire, but it's not my fault. It's my eye. Jesus says, well, pluck that eye and get it out of here. The risk is not worth having to deal with that temptation. If you need to cut off your hand, do it. Do whatever it takes to be holy and how you look at another person. Now, as I mentioned last week, Jesus likes to speak in hyperbole. Intentional exaggeration to make a point. Jesus' point here is not that we need to pluck out our eyes or cut off our hands, but that we need to do whatever it takes to keep from sinning. In this case, to keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds pure and to honor our marriages and the marriages of others. In the 2008 movie Fireproof, 
Kirk Cameron plays a firefighter whose marriage is falling apart largely because of his secret addiction to pornography. It's just wrecking his marriage. And his marriage can only be healed when finally he becomes so sick of what that addiction is doing to him and his wife that he takes his computer, he rips it out from the wall, throws it out in the front yard, and bashes it with a baseball bat. He finally does what he has to do to keep his heart and mind pure for his wife and for her alone. That's what Jesus is talking about. You want to honor God if you're single? You want to protect your marriage if you're married? Don't ever look at another person lustfully if they're not your spouse. Now, if it is your spouse, be respectful, right? Enjoy your spouse respectfully with gratitude to God. She or he is God's gift to you. That is the target Jesus gives us for our marriage vows. Don't let anything distract you from the husband or wife God has given you. Stay true to those vows. And if you're single, honor marriage so much that you would never permit yourself to nurture an attraction to someone you're not married to, especially if they're someone else's spouse. Honor their marriage vows. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Marriage is to be honored by all, by those who are married, also by those who are single. And one way we can honor marriage, whether we're married or single, is by respecting the marriage vows of others and by encouraging them to keep their vows. So, obviously, don't commit adultery. But more than that, live in such a way that you don't even commit adultery in your heart. But instead, be a person who builds up your own marriage, if you're married, and who honors and blesses the marriage vows of others. Then Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And there Jesus is quoting from the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, where Moses taught Israel that a man who becomes displeased with his wife because he finds anything indecent about her is to write her a certificate of divorce, make it official, and then send her from his house. That instruction in its time and culture was actually intended to protect the divorced woman. That certificate was proof that her husband had sent her away and she was now free to remarry. In Jewish culture in Jesus' time, a man could divorce his wife, but a woman could almost never divorce her husband. All the power at that time in that culture was with the man. But Jesus says, it's not enough that a man give his wife this certificate when he divorces her. Actually, Jesus says he must not divorce her at all. Not unless she's been sexually immoral. Today we would say, unless she's cheated on him. Jesus gives that one exception. Because in that case, she's already broken the marriage covenant. He doesn't have to divorce her. Maybe they can be reconciled. But he can divorce. Jesus gives this teaching again later with a little more detail. I'd like us to go now to later in Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 19 And verse 1, Jesus talks about this again. 
Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. A little background. When Jesus was a boy, there were two great rabbis, Shammai and Hillel, who debated whether or not a man could divorce his wife for any reason he wanted. Rabbi Shammai said a man could divorce his wife if he found anything indecent in her. Coming straight out of Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, what Moses uh, taught Israel. Meaning that if he found that she had been unfaithful, he could divorce her. If he found anything indecent. Rabbi Hillel, from the same scripture said, yes, a man could divorce his wife if he found anything indecent in her. Anything. Even if she burned his food. And most Jews in Jesus' time seem to have followed Hillel's opinion. And so divorce was unfortunately common among Jews in Jesus' time. So here's what Jesus says when the Pharisees test him with this question about divorce. Who do you side with? Shimei or... or um, or Hillel, Shammai, Shammai, or Hillel. And he answers by taking them back to God's original intention for marriage. He doesn't go to one rabbi or to the other. He goes back to Scripture. He quotes from Genesis 2 and reminds them that God, our Creator, made us male and female, and apparently did so on purpose. And for this reason, Genesis says, in marriage, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And in their union, it is God who joins them together. God himself blesses their union. Who are we then to rip apart what God has joined together? So this is part of why adultery is sinful, part of why we must avoid divorce whenever we can, because the marriage union, those vows, that joining of two people into one, that joining is performed, Jesus says, by God himself. This is also why sex outside of marriage is wrong. 
because two people are joining themselves together into one, but with no guarantee and maybe even with no intention that they'll stay that way. And so what God has joined together, they separate. And that does harm to them emotionally and spiritually and sometimes financially. It does harm to any children born from that relationship. It's not how God created us to be. God intended that joining to happen in marriage. And so when the Pharisees ask why Moses let men divorce their wives, Jesus says it was because the people's hearts were hard, but it was never God's ideal for marriage. And then Jesus repeats his teaching from chapter 5, that only when a wife has been unfaithful can her husband divorce her. Otherwise, if he divorced and married another woman, he would be committing adultery against his first wife. God is very concerned for the rights and well-being of an innocent spouse. The one who is trying to make things work in the marriage. They may not be a perfect spouse. I mean, who is? But they're trying to keep their marriage vows. If the other spouse abandons them, God will hold that other spouse accountable. Now, a problem comes up here. And Jesus' disciples spot it right away. They say, well, wait a second. If, if a man can't ever divorce his wife, as long as she's faithful to him, he's just going to be stuck with her. It might be better not to marry. I mean, who wants to be stuck in a bad relationship that you can never escape from, right? And Jesus says, yeah, that's how it is. And not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Then he expresses that some people are single because they don't have a choice. And then some people can be content being single. For a lot of people, being single may be better, may be wiser than getting married. Jesus mentions people who have to stay single for physical reasons and others who choose to stay single for spiritual reasons for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, like Jesus himself. They decide not to marry so that they can focus all their energy on serving God directly. And so to Jesus, staying single is honorable. It's not the only honorable option. Marriage is honorable as well. But not everyone needs to marry. For many people, it's better not to marry. But if we do marry, then here's the target that Jesus calls us to aim for. Keep your marriage vows. Do not consider divorce an option. Just don't. Your spouse may think differently. You can't control that. But as far as it depends on you, keep your vows. Your spouse, God forbid, might be unfaithful. And, so, and if so, you have the right in God's sight to divorce them. They've already broken the marriage covenant. You don't have to divorce. Maybe they can repent and maybe you can forgive and maybe your marriage can be saved. But in any case, for our part, as far as it depends on us, we must keep our vows. There are times in some relationships when we look at our marriage and we say, it is clearly not working anymore. And it's easy to see that we would be happier out of the marriage than remaining in it. But interestingly, research tells us that escape, that escape route that looks so promising does not typically work out very well. Some years ago, the Institute for American Values looked at married adults who reported being unhappily married. 
Five years later, some of those spouses who had been unhappy together had stayed together. Others had divorced. They found that 80% of those who split up reported still being unhappy that five years later. But 80% of those who stayed together and worked through their unhappy time now reported being happily married or much happier. What does that tell us? In the anguish of the moment, it seems obvious that we will be happier and better off if we break our vows and part ways. And and the kids, you know, they're going to be okay. And life will be so much more peaceful. But actually, studies consistently show that couples who fully, absolutely commit themselves to keeping their marriage vows till death do us part who get help when they need it, and who decide that an escape route is not an option, they tend to end up happier in the end. And it's a lot better for their children, too, to have mom and dad both there. Couples like that have an awful lot of incentive to do everything they can to build a strong, healthy, lasting marriage because, hey, they're stuck together for life. We don't want to be in misery forever, so let's work on this. And on average, they end up happier. God knows what he's doing when he calls us to keep our marriage vows. Now again, if in your case it's too late for that, or if uh, there's someone you care about, it's too, too late for them, again, God redeems our lives. He redeems broken people. And he forgives and he heals where we thought we could never be healed. We all need God. Roughly 30 years after Jesus said these things in the book of Matthew, the Apostle Paul passed Jesus' teaching along to a very new church that he was working with. It was probably only about two years old, and a lot of people in that church were likely new believers who had a spouse who was not a believer. And these Christians were mostly not Jewish, so very different culture than the group of people Jesus was speaking to. A lot of them were from Roman culture, but living in Greece, so Greco-Roman culture, uh, where both husbands and wives could initiate a divorce, and divorce was quite common as it is in our culture today. To these new believers, Paul gives instruction on what to do with their marriage vows, and he starts with his application of what Jesus said. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> Paul says, to the married, <clears throat> excuse me, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. So he's basically saying, I'm quoting Jesus here. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. So he's saying, I'm not quoting Jesus here. He didn't talk about this. But Paul, as an apostle of Jesus, has full authority to instruct the church here, right? He says, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. 
The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul here starts with what Jesus taught, now applied to a different, uh, different group of people where men and women could divorce each other. And Paul, speaking to married couples who are both Christians, says, basically, we're not to divorce. If a woman does leave her husband, like God forbid if he were abusive or something, and if she had to leave him, she must remain unmarried, he says, or else be reconciled to her husband. She needs to wait and see if maybe the marriage can be restored. Many years ago, <clears throat> I knew a woman who did just that. She and the kids had to leave her husband because he was abusive, but she was a Christian. She knew what Scripture taught, and she stayed single. She waited, and then she reached out to see if her husband had changed, if it might be possible for them to reconcile. Unfortunately, he had decided he was happier without her and the kids. And at that point, the marriage was ended. It was very sad. Paul says a woman must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she needs to stay single or work toward reconciliation. In God's eyes, they're still married, unless, as Jesus taught, he's been unfaithful. And Paul is actually more strict with the husbands. With them, he just says, a husband must not divorce his wife. Period. Again, with the caveat that, as Jesus said, if she's unfaithful, then yes, he can divorce. That woman whose husband ended up, uh, who, whose husband decided that he didn't want to be married anymore, uh, that ended up being the kind of situation that Paul talks about next. Speaking to unbelievers who are married, uh, speaking to believers who are married to unbelievers, he teaches that if the unbelieving spouse will stay in the marriage with you, then the believer must keep their marriage vows too. You don't divorce your spouse because they're not a Christian. You hold to those vows. But if the unbelieving spouse insists on leaving the marriage, then the believer has to let them go. And sadly, that's what happened in this woman's case. That man left the Lord, and then he left his wife and his kids. The church in Corinth was still very new when Paul wrote this, so there were almost certainly believers there who had become Christians recently, but their spouses had not. And to them, Paul says, don't get a divorce just because your spouse is not a follower of Jesus. No, God wants you as a follower of Jesus to keep your marriage vows. God sanctifies that marriage so that both it and the children are, uh, who are in the home are holy. And so God accepts your marriage and it is pleasing to him. But if the unbelieving spouse leaves, what can the believing spouse do? And so Paul says, the brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. And when he says not bound, he's using the legal terminology of uh, his culture to say that in that case, the marriage is dissolved and the believing spouse is free to remarry. They are no longer bound. Okay. In all of this teaching that we've read this morning from Jesus and from Paul, what is God trying to tell us? What is the target? that he wants us to aim for. God calls us to keep our marriage vows. Don't just not commit adultery. Guard your eyes and your heart and your mind and keep them pure. Honor your marriage vows and honor the marriage vows of others as well. If you're married, don't consider divorce an option. 
For God's people, it's not. At least not an option we ever choose for ourselves. Sometimes our spouse chooses it for us. We can't do anything about that. But we never choose it for ourselves. As followers of Jesus, we are not permitted to break our marriage vows as far as it depends on us. But we're called to love and respect our spouses as Christ loves us. That's Ephesians chapter 5, a lesson for another day. Is it going to be hard sometimes? Of course it is. Will we have days when we ask ourselves, why did I ever say I do? Yeah, we might. Even if you have a good spouse, you you as an imperfect person might have a hard time sometimes staying married. Is it possible that our spouse might leave the marriage or might be unfaithful? Yes, unfortunately it's possible. But as far as it depends on us, let us keep our marriage vows. God will help us as we pray for his help in our marriages. What if you're single? If you're single and you want to marry someday, Commit yourself to being completely faithful to your future spouse if God so blesses you. If you're single and you don't, ever, you don't plan to ever marry or ever marry again, honor the marriage vows of others and encourage your married friends and relatives to keep their marriage vows. Some people today in our culture see so much divorce, so much friction between a husband and a wife that they think that a strong marriage that lasts is hardly possible. But our God does impossible things. He specializes in impossible things. He loves us when we're hard to love. He blesses even difficult marriages and he helps us do what's right, even if we failed in the past. He redeems our lives. And if you have failed, now that you've heard what God expects of us, Commit yourself anew to obeying his commands from now on. Ask God to give you a new start. We are blessed to have people here in this room who have been faithful to one another, to their spouses, for 40, 50, even 60, 65 years. They are a model for us all. It can be done with the help of God. They are evidence that two spouses focused on God can make it through the hard times. And I bet they have some very interesting stories to tell if you cared to ask them. God calls us to be faithful to one another as he is faithful to us. And when we come to our wedding day with the commitment that we will do God's will in our marriage, and when we live out that commitment day by day and year by year, That makes that wedding day a truly beautiful day, a day that blesses us and that honors God. May God bless us as we obey the commands of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for marriage. Those of us who are single, those of us who are married, we give you thanks. Lord, you know some of us have been through a hard time in our marriages, and others of us have been very blessed. Lord, we all together come before you. We ask you for forgiveness for the uh, sins that we've been involved in in our marriages where we've been hard on our spouses or, or we may have even divorced because of our own sin. Or, You know, Lord, what's, what's happened in our hearts, our minds, in our lives. But Lord, as we look to you today, we recommit ourselves to following the command of Jesus. We pray that you would bless our marriage vows, ours and those of our neighbors and friends and relatives who are married. Whether we're married or single, Lord, help us to honor marriage well, uh, just as you call us to, because you 
instituted marriage and you joined the two together to be one. We thank you, dear God, that you are so faithful to your people just as a a good husband is faithful to his wife. And when we fall, you lift us back up. And you love us and you make us beautiful in your sight, not because we're so good, but because you are so good. Lord God, go with us this week and bless us as we seek to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.